You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, guys? Welcome to Good Morning Lambo. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. You can email us, PackersTotalAccess at gmail.com. You can text us, 865-658-5824. I'm joined alongside Tim, live in Green Bay. We're going to talk a little Packers this morning, uh, talk some coaching moves. We're kind of getting all of the uh, – just about to get all the vacancies filled, Tim. And uh, I think that once that occurs, you might – see Green Bay speed up the process on hiring their defensive line coach. And who knows, we may create another vacancy between now and then. But how are you doing this morning, Buck? Doing good, man. Got the diesel flowing, ready to roll, talk a little ball. Happy okay. to be here. It's a Monday, beautiful day. I know uh, Donovan Schilling's with you. He said he's got his diesel ready to party this morning. Let's go, fam. Same here, man. Got the diesel cranked up. Matter of fact, let's just go ahead and hit it one time. for the. Got to get, I'm actually on my second cup. So this is the eighth shot of espresso here, Tim. We're uh, good lord. We're cranking, my man. We're uh, we're buzzing over here. So we'll see <laughs> see how it plays out. See if my anger gets the best of me by the end of the show. <laughs> but, Tell Mandy give you a honey do list today. You're all yeah, hopped up on that caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get, when we get done here. I'm gonna get over on that bike and try to ride ten miles. Get rid of this double chin. That's the plan this morning. So we'll see what we can do there. Um, Anyway, it's funny, but you know you're old when you talk about riding the bike. My gosh. Donovan Schilling says, Tom Clements is back for 2024. That's right, Donovan, man. So, woke up this morning, first thing I thought of, I said, man, Tom Clements back another year, another good year for Jordan Love. Let's hope, right? So, uh, Clements is the man, dude. And uh, I'll tell you this, uh, when you look at the current state of the Packers and the salary cap situation and how, you know, we're kind of on the back end of, of the, you know, pushing it all in, pushing it all in. Um, and, you know, a, a listener called into Packernet after dark and, and talked to Ryan, I think it was a couple nights ago, and wanted to clear something up. The listener said, you know, he was listening to us and said, we're going to have $50 million to spend. Um, it, you know, I do the same thing. I'm not trying to dog on, on the person. I appreciate him listening and watching the show, first of all. I appreciate the support. But when I listen to a podcast or watch something and I'm doing other things, sometimes it goes right over my head. If you listen back to it, we didn't say we're going to have $50 million in cap space. What we said is, like Drew pointed out in the chat, over $80 million in maximum restructure possibility. Okay, That means pushing it to the wire restructure and everything you possibly can in the contract. We said realistically, cutting that down, you would be looking at about 50 million 
that you could free up, which is almost half of that number, right? If you want to be aggressive, um, what we settled on is 20 to 25 million is what will most likely get freed up uh, just based off of the contracts that we listed out, like the top six or seven contracts that we felt like would be really, really easy to restructure and really make sense to restructure, not just a, all right, we need to free up money and spend a bunch of money right now, just a, there's no reason for them to sit on this cap yet. They either need to be gone or we need to restructure. And along with that, we'll come pushing some out on voidable years, but freeing up money in the, in the, uh, in the, in the near future as well, if that makes sense. So, we're looking at 20 to 25 million. And, you know, I text Ryan when I heard that on there because I just didn't I didn't want anyone to get the false impression that we were saying there was 50 million dollars that we were going to go out and spend um, to put it kind of in a little bit better framework here. What I told Ryan, just clearing it up, I said um, our signings we settled on um, would be safety Geno Stone at uh, six and a half million linebacker Bobby Wagner at four million and safety Alohi Gilman at 2.7 million. That was all their Spotrack market value, which is usually higher than uh, over the cap, meaning Spotrack tends to shoot a little bit higher. To give you an example, if I remember correctly, Patrick Queen on Spotrack's projected market value is 18 and a half million per, right? Someone said on, on Twitter that over the cap has them at like 14 million. That's just another example of how Spotrack kind of shoots high. And I find that I like Spotrack better than over the cap, and I think I'm definitely in the minority there. I love the way it's structured. I love the way it's laid out. It's easy to read. And anytime that I've looked at a market projection, they've been spot on. And when I say spot on, I mean they're always in the ballpark, but you never come away going, oh, I thought it would be better than that. It's always on the opposite side. And that's definitely how I like to kind of look at things financially. So um, I said that was all their Spotrack, blah, blah, blah. I said, so we spent $13.2 million. Okay, so spending that 13.2 million would leave seven to 10 million for operating purposes. They usually like to leave somewhere between five and 10 every year just to kind of have that space to be able to do things. You know, if you get injuries and other uh, things that that may occur. Um, And I mentioned that the fair market value, if I remember correctly, on love was like forty four million dollars. So I I did go on to say that if somehow, some way Goody gets him locked up long term for twenty five million, somewhere around twenty five million, they should uh rename Crows West out of after Brian Goody and uh and put a put a statue the size of Colossus of Rhodes out front of Lambeau with Goody because if I wouldn't be surprised if we come out and go whoa that was way under what we expected because they're going to him early that's the whole purpose of going to him early they have the leverage right he's under contract not just this year but 2025 then you've got two years you can franchise tag him so really they they're playing this they're playing from ahead, if you will, right, Tim? They're, they're going in going, okay, look, hey, you're still under contract through 2025. Obviously, we could franchise tag you. We want to stay away from that. Let's let's agree on a number here. Let's get some money in your pocket. And to the tune of 25 to $30 million per, there's a lot of guaranteed money. You can, you can make that guaranteed heavy. I'm not saying Deshaun Watson. Please, please, please don't think that. <laughs> I'm not saying 100% guarantee. But you can reduce that overall number, extend the years, and give a little more guaranteed write a check. Now, listen, Green Bay's a lot different than Sam Walton's family out there in Denver and Jerry Jones down in Dallas. You know, there is limited funds, right? But at the same time, you you should be able to write whatever check you need to write there. Um, with the, the recent financials that came out and everything that's going on with Titletown, business is definitely booming. So just wanted to clear that up, though. Tim, you got anything to, uh, to add to that or, or no? No, I think that uh, sums it up pretty well. Good deal.
Good deal. All right. Um, so we got that out of the way. Let's talk about some coaching changes that could potentially happen. Ian Rappaport tweeted out, uh, it was roughly probably about 12 hours ago now, the commanders lock in their D.C., Joe Witt Jr. So Joe Witt Jr. is following Dan Quinn to Washington as the commander's defensive coordinator. Witt was the Cowboys secondary coach and passing game coordinator. So why am I talking about the Cowboys coaching changes? You guys know we interviewed Adam Dirty, right, their defensive line coach. And immediately I was going, okay, there's an outside chance. I think it's very slim, but there's an outside chance he could get promoted to D.C. in Dallas, right? So we were trying to wait to see how some of these pieces fell into place. Well, now that uh, arguably the front runner for D.C., Joe Witt Jr., is going to Washington, can mean two things. It can mean he was the front runner and he said, no, I want to follow Dan Quinn. I want to coach under Dan Quinn. Or it could be that Dallas had made their decision internally. Joe Witt Jr. knew he wasn't going to be the D.C., and Dan Quinn offered him the job, so he jumps ship and goes over there, and, and obviously to a division rival too, which is just absolutely awesome, right? So um, when you kind of look at that whole scenario, there's an outside chance Adam Dirty could get promoted to D.C., but also just a slight promotion too. Like, you know, if they make him – running game coordinator, I'm almost positive they could block that lateral move if we did want to hire him as defensive line coach. And, again, I have no information that's saying that's what they're thinking about doing. It's just you got to look at all the pieces that have been laid on the table here. Christian Parker in Denver, right, he came in and got interviewed. There was rumors that he accepted a position. What's going, okay, obviously that was not true about D.C., but was there something else he might have agreed to if he doesn't get a better offer? That could be the case. I think I'm, to the best of my knowledge, I'm the only one even having a conversation about that. But I think it's important to at least observe who were the candidates. The other one was going to be Zach Orr, right? Well, he's now D.C. in Baltimore, so he's off the table. Um, so you still got Christian Parker sitting out there. Now, we don't have a secondary opening, right? However, that can happen at any point. Now, uh, like Drew pointed out, our I think it's our DB's coach, um, Greg Williams, Actually, I believe that's the same one coached with Jeff Halfley in Cleveland way back in the day. So there's a chance there's ties there that he may stay put too. But nonetheless, you need a defensive line coach. And if you can go in and pry at and dirty away from Dallas, you know, that might be a potential move to keep our eye on. So, and obviously the other candidate that seemed like they were really high on was Bobby Babbage. He was promoted to DC in, uh, in, Buffalo. So that can't happen. So just wanted to kind of point that out that some of the things that could, you know, may or may not take place moving forward. Um, trying to put everything together. We mentioned the BC assistance. We won't go back through it again, but there's like, you know, two or three different assistants uh, with Boston College. There was co defensive coordinators that could possibly get a job here, whether it's D line coach or just a uh, defensive quality control coach, too. That could be the case, right? So um, anything there, Tim? Anything stick out to you? Yeah, Coach Williams. I hope uh, I hope he stay, sticks around. Um, you know, you brought up uh, – we talked about that a little bit yesterday about the possibility of uh, them probably bringing someone else in. But, you know, the the ties to uh, Coach Halfley um, that you just mentioned, that's something to consider. And also the fact that, uh, you know, Greg Williams was brought here to, to work with Ja in our secondary – uh, about playing closer to the line of scrimmage and, uh, you know, manning up a little bit, if you will, um, the, the old bump and run, if you will. And uh, we know we're going to see more man uh, in Halfley's system. So um, there is a chance he could stay, but, you know, what the heck do I know, right? So I'm just – I'm pulling for Coach Williams. I like what he did last year, and uh, 
be nice to see him retained on the staff. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's hard to judge someone off of one or two years, right? You want to give them enough time. And we had said that about Barry too. Like you, you don't want to just bring someone in and then scrap them that quick. So I, I think I'm with you there too, Tim, seeing that they have ties. I think, uh, I think it's important to give them a fair shot for sure. Donovan in the chat says, can you do co-DC in the NFL? To the best of my knowledge, Donovan, I've never heard of that. There's never been co-defensive coordinators in the NFL. Um, the only person who's kind of pushed the envelope a bit as far as trying to manipulate like how the coaching structure works across the league is Bill Belichick. And what he would do – is he wouldn't name a OC or a DC. And the reason being is if someone else comes in and tries to poach that coach, now he just has to promote him and he blocks the move. It's playing chess and everyone else is playing checkers, really. That's the closest thing to a co-DC, right? Um, I know somebody in the chat mentioned that uh, our coach was co-DC in San Francisco. If you're talking about Halfley being co-DC in San Francisco, that's that was not the case to the best of my knowledge. He was co-DC at – um, the Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio State for one year. So, yeah, they. Uh, it's funny, too. As soon as Bill was out in New England, Gerard Mayo at his introductory pe- press conference immediately said um, that uh, that he believes in titles and he's going to appoint people to titles. So he kind of not really taking a shot at Bill, but just like, hey, it's important for people to have these titles. And, and it is kind of – when you do that to coaches, you're you're kind of holding them back a bit. Like, hey, look, I don't think you're good enough to be our DC, but if someone else comes for you, I want to have the option to keep you from doing that. I can see how someone would look at that as like not acting in good faith, right? So um, definitely worth mentioning there. Let's see if we got anything else here in the chat. Um, Donovan asks, uh, but random, but anyone know when they're going to do another stock sale? Want to get one for my wife? I haven't heard anything, Tim. Have you? You heard anything no, on it? It'd probably be a while, I would think. We just had uh, when was the last one? Twenty one. Yeah, we could yeah. kind of look at precedent here. Talk for a second, Tim, and I'll look at these stocks and see when the stock sales were exactly. Yeah, um, I, I'm trying to think of the the one that was uh, prior to the 2021 um, stock sale. Um, I, you know, a lot of things happening here in Green Bay. Uh, draft coming up next year. You know, Packers going to a Super Bowl here real soon. So. Um, there'll be opportunities for revenue uh, being brought into uh, to the organization. So uh, I don't know. I haven't heard when they're going to do another one, but it doesn't. They don't happen often, uh, Clayton. I don't know if you've got anything pulled up yeah. on the. It's basically on uh, to the best of my knowledge, this most recent one was 2021, and the one before that was 2011. So it was 10 years. 10 years. Um, so okay. you know, if you want to take that as precedent, I, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of when the other stock sale was. I've just got those two stocks um, that Mandy bought me. So uh, I, you know, maybe maybe it was 2001 was the last one. I don't know. I know they did a stock sale before they re revamped Lambo, which I'm pretty sure that took place right there around 2001, 2002 when yeah. they tried to go in and build the atrium and all that. But uh, I want to give a shout out to Rob Westerman in the chat. One of my heroes on Twitter and YouTube and everything, man, just has <clears throat> great coverage there with uh, GBP Daily. Um, does a phenomenal job. Always been a great, um, great friend to us. When we got started, he came on the show. He was probably hearing my accent going, why in the world am I doing this? But uh, uh, we really appreciate you helping us out, Rob. It's good to see you, buddy. Hope you're doing well, man. Hope the family's doing good, too. Uh, great follow. See- Make sure you give him a follow. Oh, absolutely. I love the content. 
He's got a ton of followers on Twitter, but I'm telling you, don't follow ju- you know just to help him out. Follow for your sake because their content is just phenomenal. And the right attitude, you won't see him on there arguing. Um, I know he looks at mine sometimes and like, Clayton, you're wasting your time. <laughs> so uh, He's just a, a great follow on Twitter. Appreciate you, Rob. United Bates in the chat said it was 1923, 1935, 1950, 1997, 2011, and 2021. So it was actually 97 that set up that whole revampment of Lambeau Field. So, yeah, you could see it went, what, um, 12 years and then it went 15 years, and then it went, goodness gracious, how long was that? 47 years? Yep. And then uh, from 97 to 2011, roughly what, 14 years, and then 10 years. So uh, um, I see you in 2034. <laughs> yeah, that, but also, like, if you'll notice, it keeps getting closer. You know what I mean, Tim? Like, yeah. you go 1950, 1997, then 1997, 2011, 2011, So who knows, man? There might be one here in five years, you know? Um, when I say yeah. five years, around 2026, maybe 2028, something like that. But if if you had to kind of hold precedent there, you'd probably say at least be eight to 10 years, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. But, I think we've definitely seen the last of the stock sales during uh, Mark Murphy's tenure, you know. So we'll see who the new new president is and, you know, what the direction is going forward here after 2025. Yeah, for sure. Ron in the chat says, how close would this new defensive system resemble what Martindale was running? Uh, Not close at all, to be honest with you, Ron. Um, This system, and again, you could take two different avenues here. You can say, okay, what did they do at BC? And you could say, what did they do in San Francisco when he was here way back in the day, right? Like in 20, what was it, 2016, 2017, 2018, I think. And he was just a DB coach back then, but he's good friends with Robert Sala to the best of my knowledge. So um, probably going to get kind of that Robert Solo approach more than anything would be a good guess. Now, he, he may come in and just completely blow everybody away, right? But we're going to hit on an article here that actually came in. Um, to answer your question, Ron, I don't think it's nothing like um, what Martindale did. Martindale, too, you know, Martindale likes to paint. Everybody likes to paint this picture like Martindale was just so successful with his defense in New York. And, um, you know, you don't see him in the top ten in scoring defense. Uh, you, you know, it's it's because people love the excitement of bringing pressure, right? They just love that. The problem is it's just a proven fact that the people who pressure more end up giving up more points, right? Um, you know, for the most part, there may be a few that are kind of scattered throughout. But uh, Paul Brettel actually wrote an article. I shared it in here earlier. I know you guys can't click on the link, but if you go to PackersWire.USA Today, if you just go to my Twitter, you'll see it. I retweeted it earlier. But he did a uh, – a pretty extensive breakdown for new defensive coordinator, Jeff Halfley. It's a really good read. And there's some things in there that I agree with some that I disagree with. Not, not saying, no, Paul, you're wrong. Just saying, I, we have a differing opinion of which direction we think it's going to go, or at least swing that far in that direction. That's really the question because you're going to be playing more man coverage. There's no, no doubt about that. But when we pull up um, the, uh, the article here. I'm going to jump ahead to it, and then we'll come back to the coaching hire stuff. We were going to hit on that stuff first, but since he brought that up, let's just jump right in here. I'm going to read the article and try not to bore you too much with it, but give you kind of the gist of what it says. According to, and again, this is from Paul Brettle. You guys make sure you'll give him a follow at Paul underscore Brettle. According to PFF, Halfley's Boston College defenses during the 21 and 22 seasons led all of college football in playing cover one. In 2023, they ranked fifth playing out of single high safety looks, put their cornerbacks in a lot of man coverage situations. 
given who the Packers currently have at cornerback on the roster. That style better fits their personnel. At his best, Jair Alexander is one of the best cover corners in football. Eric Stokes and Carrington Valentine, meanwhile, spent the bulk of their college careers at Georgia and Kentucky, respectively playing man coverage. Um, with Carrington, there was one year he played a lot of zone, and that's is actually the last year he was there. That's why he fell off in the draft a bit. So uh, just a quick little nugget there. They did play man more the year before, but his last year in college, they, they shifted to a little more zone, and that's why he wasn't highlighted as much at Kentucky. So um, I think he said, quote, I think, obviously, he's worked in a lot of different systems. This is Brian Gutekunst talking um, on Halfley. He's very flexible that way. And, again, as he gets to know our personnel more, and obviously he's been in college and working at Boston College the last four years, but as he gets to know our personnel, um, I think his thoughts will kind of work more towards exactly what he wants to do. So Brian kind of squashes that quick, right? Like, well, you know, BC, you do things a little different. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. He's going to take a look at the personnel here and see how it, you know, kind of comes into play. Quote, but our initial conversations, and obviously Matt had a lot more than I did, but just really excited about some of his thoughts and where he could take our roster. With Halfley at the helm, in comparison to Joe Barry, based on what we've seen from him in previous seasons, more five- and six-man pressures could be in the cards as well. Notice he said could. He didn't say will, right? Could be in the cards as well. This was especially true on third downs, where Boston College ranked second in the ACC last season in blitz rate on third down passes. Now, the, the part that I wanted to kind of mention here is when you when you hear about what they did in college, it doesn't mean they're going to come in the NFL and completely rewrite the coaching uh, you know landscape in the NFL. And here's what I mean by that. Yeah, we're going to play more cover one, right? But also, you're going to play um, – you know, he talks about bringing, bringing five more. We're going to be blitzing five and six more often. Uh, that's where I kind of push back because it's like when you look at what we actually did as a defense, right, last year, Green Bay, their five-man rush, we did that 27% of the time. That was fifth most in the league. So to say that we're going to be run, bringing more five-man pressures means – you're going to probably be the team that does it the most in the league. Everyone's got this misconception that what Joe Barry did 
was just sat in too high shell and only brung four rushers. He never blitzed. He never brung pressure. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. Like if you look here, four-man rushers, like when we brung four rushers, it was 64% of the time. That was 25th most in the league, guys. So like when you look at the three-man rush, that's those really, really long plays, probably third and long. He brung three rushers, nine or nine, ninth most in the league, but it was only 6% of the time, right? And by the way, that was his – uh, his his next to highest EPA at 11th. Okay, so he brung four rushers, 60 only 64 percent of the time. That's 25th most in the league. He brung five rushers, 27 percent of the time. That was fifth most in the league. He brung six plus rushers, three percent of the time. That was 29th most in the league. So the reason I say we kind of differ a little bit, me and Paul, in that article, I think you will see more six man pressures. You know, six man rusher rush. You should say, um, you'll see more of that. Than you, you know, the 3% that we did last year, but that 27%, you can't do them both. You know what I mean? I would expect the five man rush to go down a bit and the six man rush to go up a bit, if that makes sense. Now, when you look at what Robert Sala does, again, those are his college numbers. That's, that's kind of comparing Green Bay's numbers this past year and their, and their rush rate to what Halfley did in college, right? Well, we heard it straight from Halfley's mouth. You, the NFL game is a totally different game. And when I speak to my friends in the NFL, he said that multiple times. He's well, Who he's referring to is Robert Sala and people who's worked under Robert Sala. Now, we broke it down last night. When you look at the Jets, what are they doing, right? The Jets brung four rushers 80% of the time. That was first in the league. They brung five-man pressure 12% of the time. That's 31st in the league. And six-man pressure – 3% of the time is 27th in the league. So if he's going to go back to doing what, quote, his NFL friends do, you're probably going to see more of just a four-man rush out of single high. Now, that's the other thing, too. We kept hearing how the Packers were just playing this too high shell, too high shell, too high shell. Couldn't be farther from the truth, guys. Look at look at the, the bottom metrics here. Middle field close, we ran that 52% of the time. That means single high. That's not two-man high. What people are confusing is – the pre-snap look to the post-snap look, meaning we're showing two on the shelf, but we were spinning out of it constantly. We ran single high coverage, middle field closed. Could be cover one man, which we ran quite a bit of, but it could be cover three where you've got that safety dropping deep down the seam. We did that fifth most in the league. Middle field open, Mr. Fangio, right? This is this Fangio scheme. It's, you know, it's broken and this and that. We only ran middle field open 36% of the time. That was 26th most in the league. That's the bottom third of the league. And when we did middle field open, your EPA dropped to 28 there. It's worth mentioning. So people immediately say, okay, well, the Fangio system is broken. The scheme's broken, right? We didn't run that. What's that? We didn't run the Fangio system. We ran Joe Barry's system. We ran zone match principles, and majority of the time we ran cover three defense, whether it was a 3-3 three, three with a cat or a or an extra blitzer, five-man rush, which we just pointed out. The majority of the time we were playing three up top, three in the middle, and bringing a five-man rush. That's what we did the large majority of the time. And we played it out of nickel, too, because of the way the league goes to 11 personnel, and we just matched when they were in 21 or 12, we matched 34 jam base. When they went to 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end, equaling three wide receivers, we went to our nickel two, four, five. Nickel's going to look the same, guys, as far as the personnel. Like these people are getting their hopes up that, man, this this new nickel defense is just going to be wild. The only thing that's going to differ is you're probably going to fire more cat blitzes than you did under Joe Barry because our guys couldn't cover on the back end 
Therefore, it made more sense to not fire that DB. Let's get him into coverage, although we continue to get burnt there. But with explosive plays, right, and that was the whole point of running the Fangio scheme or bringing in Joe Barry to, quote, run the Fangio scheme, right, which, by the way, Barry is not of the Fangio coaching tree. People need to understand that too, okay? So when you go back, look at Miami. We just talked about the Dolphins, right? They had the third least amount of explosive plays at 78 explosive plays. And for those of you who are new, explosive plays are passing game, passing plays that go for 20 or more yards, running plays that go for 10 or more yards. Okay. So we ran middle field closed the majority of the time and we brung five rushers. Look at our explosive plays. We gave up 105 explosive plays last year. Okay. And immediately people go, well, the Fangio system wasn't working. We were still giving up explosives. We weren't running the Fangio defense the large majority of the time last year. Yes, that now you go to the year before, you see a lot of cover six. You, you see a lot of quarter, quarter, half of zone match principles. You see those guys ending in two on the shelf as opposed to ending in a single high safety look. But Miami controlling those explosives, right, mainly in the run game too, which, by the way, only 20 explosives on the, on the ground in Miami that's the that's the least in the entire National Football League. They only gave up on average 1.2 explosive plays on the ground per game. You know what Green Bay ended up giving up? 2.8. That's kind of middle of the pack, lower lower half, but closer to the middle of the pack, right? With that 47 uh, total, 2.8 per game. When you look at the passing side, 6.2 explosive plays in the passing game every every uh, every game on average. 105 total. I'm sorry, that was the total number. The passes was 3.4, and that was 58 total. So you can kind of see how that played out. Now, why do I mention that? I mention that because when you look at what the Dolphins did schematically, right? Schematically, look at what they ran, guys. Middle field closed 40% of the time. That was 26th most in the league. Middle field open 46% of the time. That was 10th most in the league, and their EPA was eighth. So they ran shell coverage, middle field open, two safeties on the shelf. Could be some invert, but most of the time, two safeties on the shelf. Okay. What I mean by invert is the corner dropping back to play deep as opposed to, you know, a safety. Sometimes they got creative with some pre snap motion, some of that quick exit motion. They would change places. The corner would end up playing, you know, half of the field deep or a quarter of the field. Uh, on one of the hashes, whichever side they they lined up on. So Miami ran middle field open, 10th most in the league. And once again, the Packers ran middle field open, 26th most in the league. So this whole idea that the only – well, you wasn't controlling explosives anyway with this Fangio scheme. It wasn't Fangio's defense. This was modified, what everybody wanted, cover one, cover one man, being more aggressive, I'm still mind boggled that some people don't think that we were aggressive. Like we brung five man, we, we, we brung five rushers fifth most in the league. So just something to keep your eye on when it comes to how the coaching landscape is playing out and more specifically with green Bay. So hopefully that information made sense. I just wanted to point that out when we're talking about Halfley, the plays I charted, he run a ton of cover one man in college but I think you're probably going to see a blend of what we did last year and what Robert Sala is doing, which would actually equal less five-man rushes, a few more six-man rushes, but most of the time probably bringing a four-man rush. We'll find out. We'll find yeah. out. And he may, sit, yeah. he may sit down with Matt too, and Matt Matt may tell him, you know what, 
let's lean, let's press into the Fangio style because we've really gotten away from it. That could be the case too, you know? Yeah. So. And and what, what he did at BC is not, you know, that to think he's just going to come here and, you know, run, run the, run the defense like he did at BC is just, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, yeah. and he spoke himself very candidly about, you know, you know, the, the, the game is different, right? The ball, the ball's always in the middle of the field uh, in the national football league, right? You got the hashes are closer together. Um, it's, it's different than the college game. Um, but I think you're going to see versatility he talked about being balanced. Yeah. We may see more man, but you know, that doesn't mean it's going to be all the time. And here's the other thing, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of pressure, right? I mean, I love defense. We as fans want to see the, you know, the quarterback being blitzed and, you know, but here's the thing you got to get home. And if you're going to, if you're not getting home, whether you're rushing five, six, whatever, you know, you're running punt block, <laughs> whatever you're doing. If you're not, if those guys aren't getting home, you're going to get beat. You're going to get beat. If that ball gets out, you're going to get beat. You just don't have the personnel uh, down the field to cover against the explosive. So a lot of this is going to come down to our pass rush, you know, and yeah, our guys. Up there home. In the yeah. If you don't get home and that's the thing, you know, to, to Barry's credit, you know, last year we saw a lot of times we were, you know, we were rushing for and guys were getting in there and right. you know, that that's a recipe for success. Honestly, if you can have more guys in coverage and you're still getting pressure to the quarterback and affecting that quarterback's uh, you know, mobility in the pocket, that's going to help your defense. So I think we're going to see a balanced attack um, with coach Halfley. And uh, again, we need to be patient and we need to allow this defense to, develop, come together, and these guys are going to have to learn how to play uh, in this system with a new D.C. So uh, mm -hmm. it's going to be exciting to see at camp. Yeah, and, you know, I've spoke to a lot of people. Coach Haddad's one. I spoke to several others. And the one common thread I keep coming away with is you're getting one hell of a D.B. coach, right? Yep. So let's hope that these D.B.s kind of return back to that whole, you know, what they were before, you know, as far as Jair Alexander grading out high, Savage grading out high, which Savage graded out a lot better there down the stretch. He ended up finishing at, what, a 75 or whatever it was. So, um, I don't know, it's going to be interesting to see. I just want to point out all of the different angles and how this may come into effect. Now, as far as the Ohio State talk, the fact that some people are trying to cling to one year at Ohio State where he was co-defensive coordinator, that's what this defense is going to look like. I challenge everyone to go watch that. Because what you'll see is the Chase Young show. It is just Chase Young sack, Chase Young sack, Chase Young. They were getting pressure on the quarterback in a split second. And to just look at that and go, yep, Jeff Hackley's a genius. I think he's a great coach. I think it's going to be a good hire. I mean, personally, I'm choosing to believe the glass is half full. But, you know, I just want to kind of reflect back on what just happened, some of the trends across the NFL landscape, and what may or may not occur there. Uh, Carly, how you doing this morning? She said, I ain't got time to talk to y'all. No, no, sorry. I just had to get over it and, and unmute it. Um, no, we're doing good. Trying to figure out why an outlet just stopped working. Um, <laughs> tripped a breaker or something like that. But no, I'm doing good. How you guys doing? Uh, we're good. We're good. We're just sitting here trying to dissect some of these coaching numbers and having fun with it. Um, Ron Sanville in the chat said, actually, my question was hopeful that it wasn't. Never been impressed by Martindale. Got you, Ron. You know, I want to I want to say I agree with you, Ron, that I'm not impressed with Martindale either. But people that I trust love him. Like like Michael Lombardi is real big on Martindale, right? And he's always criticizing the league, the fact that Wink Martindale has never gotten an opportunity to be a head coach. Um, that Me personally, I got to go 
Lombardi's forgot way more about football than I'll ever know, first of all. But if I'm going to be selfish for a minute and go, well, here's why I feel the way I feel, I think he hasn't been a head coach because he's a bit of an a-hole. That's just me personally. I think that everywhere he goes, he kind of burns that bridge. And, he, you know, it seems like it's about what he wants to do and not everyone else. I think he was looking for a job that, that hey, you just worry about your side of the ball. I got this over here, that whole Buddy Ryan approach. And we see that stuff blows up really, really quick. Yeah, It's hard for you to go into a meeting room with 53 or 90 or however many are on your current roster at the time and going, guys, listen, put the team first. Forget about your personal stuff. And then you got a coach in the room that's going, hey, y'all shut up and leave me alone. I'm going to do what I want to do over here. That's that's the opposite of culture, unity, continuity, all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Donald says, uh, I'd be curious to see what those number, where those numbers compare versus the season before. I would too, Donald. Um, I had the screen grab of last year's. To the best of my knowledge, it's not within the database that I'm searching right now. So it may be lost unless someone takes the time to dig through SIS specifically and put in the specific situations to get those numbers and do the math themselves. I, I'm married, so I don't have time to do it. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so the feeling I've got, though, is this year we got way away from the Fangio approach. That's just me personally. Um, and you guys remember the first half of the season, things were going great, right? And, you know, someone had actually uh, tweeted at me earlier, I think it was a couple of days ago on Twitter, and we were talking about the Atlanta Falcons game. And I posted a clip of Dontavian Wick scoring there and, you know, that, that yak game or whatever, the yak play. And uh, they said, man, how did we lose this game? And I think they were just kind of saying it tongue-in-cheek, like, man, I can't believe we lost this game. But they asked how we lose it, and I told them how we lost it. You know how we lost that game? We got shut out in the fourth quarter, and we went three and out. We had three possessions in the fourth quarter as an offense. We went three and out, three and out, four and out. Basically, we went for it on fourth down and didn't get it. So at that time, the defense was really cranking. We were talking about how well they were playing. Once the offense caught up, the lead catches on to the defense, and we kind of abandoned everything and switched it up. Now, they finished strong, obviously, but uh, not to the tune of being able to, uh, you know, keep your job if you're Joe Barry, obviously. And, and, again, I agree with the move. I think it was the right move. Um, we're just trying to get a grab on what we think this defense will do as far as their approach and how they're going to attack offenses. Um, and there's some that uh, that kind of hit that it's like, eh, I don't see how – if you're saying that's going to happen, right, if you're saying, you know, insert whatever's going to happen, it means they're going to be the most in the league at doing that, and I think you're setting yourself up to be disappointed. <laughs> just yeah. me personally, because the league is a whole different, whole different animal for sure. Josh in the chat said, I've seen a report that we offered or the job but – uh, but went to the rate when the Ravens made their move, he got promoted. So supposedly Hadley wasn't the first choice, but who knows? Yeah, Josh, we all seen that report too. And Aaron Nagler came out and said that I believe it was Aaron that said he spoke to someone in the building, which would be someone on the coaching staff. I just, just about guarantee it. And they said that was absolutely untrue. So you're getting some reporter battles going on this offseason. There's no doubt about that. But we got Emilio joining us now. Emilio, how you doing, boy? Good, good. How was everyone this morning? 
We're good, man. We're doing good. We just uh, in here talking a little coaching. Uh, we were talking, uh, you know, an article that Paul Brettle wrote. Amazing article. Make sure mm -hmm. you guys go check that out. Retweet it too. Get it passed around. You had to bring up the Falcons game too. That was a tough watch. <laughs> I was sitting was. right there, sitting right there, watching it in person. At least, at least I got to see the aquarium the day before. Man, that that made it all better. <laughs> and it was that first that first three and out the part. I remember tweeting about it and going. We came out and passed on first down. It fell incomplete. Then you try to run on second down. You get two yards. You're behind the sticks. Punt. Yep. As soon as they punted, that opening drive coming out of the – I believe it was the, the very first possession of the second half. It was definitely the Packers' first possession, if I remember correctly. I said, hold on tight. This is – we've seen this movie before. Mm -hmm. The offense is struggling. The defense is going to have to try to hold up. And I just don't think we're healthy enough to hold up here. And and what was – I mean, they started it with that flea flicker, which was awesome. So sent you that video. I was like, watching that open up from behind was crazy. And then yeah. and then when – but then that was, you know, the B. John Robinson, Devondre Campbell in coverage game. And yep. started the uh, started the Sean Clifford talk, you know, bring them out. I'm like, you guys are killing me. With that. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Yeah, Sean Clifford talk got and, – and I love it too, man, because – some of these folks that was firing at LaFleur, Jordan Love ain't the guy. You you go to their Twitter. I like to check in on them from time to time. You go to their Twitter, and it's just, whoo, what an organization <laughs> we have. And I'm like, what? Are you really sitting there yeah. pretending like you wasn't saying fire everybody? Like, man, just wild. Absolutely wild. Anyway, um, coaching hires. This is a really cool chart. Um, I need to give credit. So who has it? It's at he's got a huge following, like 200,000 followers at Mike Clay NFL. Okay. Um, he puts stuff like this out. I think he's an ESPN analyst, so he does a really good job with the numbers. I'm going to try to explain what this chart is. So essentially, you've got the teams listed in alphabetical order on the left side, right? That left column there. So you got all the teams listed, and the first column is your head coach. And right next to him, it's got the year that they were hired, and he's got it color coded. So essentially, the dark blue are the coaches that have been there the longest, like Mike Tomlin, for instance, 2007 is when he was hired. Um, he's in dark blue. It fades to white and then goes to dark red for the more recent. Okay. So what you'll see is head coaching column, all the head coaching vacancies have been filled, obviously. Then you go to offensive coordinator, and it looks like there's one, only two spots that hasn't been filled, at least when this was updated, you guys correct us in the chat if someone has taken this job, but like the LA chargers, they're showing they do not have an OC here. I can't remember if they actually made a hire or not. Seattle needs an OC according to this chart as well. You hop over to offensive play caller. Okay. Obviously the chargers don't have their OC, so they don't have their play caller listed yet. Seattle doesn't have their offensive play caller yet. Okay. Then you go over to DC. Dallas still hasn't named their defensive coordinator. Like we said, Joe Witt went to Washington with Dan, uh, with Dan Campbell, so they need to find their D.C. That's the one that we're kind of looking at going, is adding Dirty going to get a significant approach, uh, promotion from defensive line coach it, because there's a, a chance that he could possibly come to Green Bay with a slot promotion and to be our defensive line coach now that Jerry Montgomery is out, right? You climb on down, you got the New York Jets still don't have their defensive coordinator field yet. Um, you got the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, obviously, they don't have their – I'm sorry, not the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Seattle Seahawks. They don't have their OC or their offensive play caller, but they also don't have their DC uh, yet as well, to the, to the last I heard anyway. So if you guys have seen that come through the wire, 
make sure you comment, tweet on it, whatever. Anybody in here too, Tim, Emilio, Carly, if you guys know that information and they have been filled, let me know and maybe mm-hmm. we can pencil them in. But the way it sits, the big one there for me is Dallas. The other thing too is look at Denver. Remember we brought in Christian Parker for an interview. Denver, Vance Joseph was still in place. He didn't get a job anywhere, obviously. So he's still the D.C. And Christian Parker is the, the, the D.B. coach. So the only way you could bring Christian Parker over is if you gave him a promotion to passing game coordinator. And that would mean that we would have to get rid of our boy Greg Williams or at least demote him. I don't think that's going to happen. So you've got defensive quality control coaches open. And you got defensive line coach that's open. Let me get that for the X's here, like on a family team, right? But um, so the Jerry Montgomery one's the one that's really fascinating to me. Could we pluck someone from one of these top defenses like a Baltimore, a Kansas City, a San Francisco, someone like that? Hell, maybe even Tampa, right? Uh, maybe you go pluck one from someone who had a really good run defense, right? Um, that's not the that's not the direction the league's going in as far as the success rate for these teams that had the top scoring defenses. Most of them just kind of threw the run defense to the side and said, yeah, y'all can run the ball, have fun. We're just going to stop the pass. Uh, that seems to be the blueprint right now in the NFL, which it has been for the last few years as Greg Cosell's continue to explain that. So um, adding dirty is the one I'm kind of got my eye on. Like what if they go and approach him and say, Hey, would you like to make more money? Come here, be our D line coach and our running game coordinator right now. If they do that, it suggests they may switch to a 4-3, and um, they're going to play more man coverage, which I think we would all agree they're definitely going to play more than the 23% they played last year. So just want to kind of keep our finger on the pulse there. But let's go around the horn with that. Uh, whoever's got a comment, Tim, Emilio, whoever. I was just at first take, taken back by the X's. First time I saw you do it like that, that, that got me laughing. But, yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, – at, at some point, you know, we had to make a change, right? So I, I like that they're, you know, they're branching out. We're trying to find something new there. Uh, and, you know, if we're going to switch to that 4-3, we better be ready for that D-line to, you know, to step up and and uh, and and show up because that's where we're going to need, you know, the most change moving forward this, this next year. Obviously, besides the secondary, we need that D-line to be shored up if we're going to go, um, you know, single high and all that stuff uh, in the backfield. Got it. Tim, what about you, buddy? No, I have nothing. I agree with Emilio for sure. Carly, you got anything to add? So with um, the Jerry Montgomery, like the him being gone doesn't surprise me just considering our running game defense, you know, was booty cheeks. But um, would I guess what I don't really understand is in order to get somebody into that position, is it the same as with the other type of coach, coaches where they have to be promoted from somewhere other way? Otherwise, they can block it because what what is under that? Like that would be a promotion that would be able to handle that kind of that kind of role. Does that make sense? Does my it, question it does. Make sense? Yeah. And that, that's where the waters get a little bit muddy because. You know, a coach can turn down a job and stay in the spot, right? It's just if a coach wants to take a job somewhere else and it's a lateral move, then their current organization can block it, okay? So they can go to them and go, hey, look, I want out. I want to go over here. And they can go, no, we're not letting you because it's a lateral move. Wasn't that what happened with Coach Montgomery? Because I saw, like, conflicting reports. Like, you know, I don't know if he was outright let go. I thought he decided to, you know, he wanted to interview for some other jobs and the Packers just – didn't block it and they said go ahead jerry montgomery's been with the team since 2015 then listen this is this is the way i see it i could be wrong i took it as it's you ever hear about people resigning rather than being fired yeah they go to them and say hey we don't want to move forward with you we're going to go in a different direction if you resign 
then it's not on your resume that you got fired. Right. That right. type of thing. So to me, it felt like they approached him. And I think the reports actually said they approached him and said, Hey, we're going to give everyone, and it might've been everyone on the staff, everybody you're free to go looking for other jobs because they don't want to go. No, you're not free to go looking for another job. And then two weeks later they can them because that's right. just how Green Bay does business. So, so they hit them with the old, the old, I got uh, some advice for y'all take two weeks off then quit. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so to answer your question, Carly, um, as far as it being, you know, it has to be a promotion or what have you. Let's say that Matt LaFleur goes to add in dirty and says, Hey, listen, we want you to be our D line coach. Okay. And let's say he wants to go. I'm pretty sure Dallas can block it because it would be a lateral move. Now, again, the water gets a little bit muddied on the lower position groups. It could be that teams really don't care that much. It could be that there's actually rules in place or may not be in place for the position coaches, the same as the coordinators. Um, every rule that's created across the NFL is, is you're trying to create a, a higher level of competition parity, if you will, right? Where you can, it's going to be hard for um, teams to just run away and be, be so much better than the other teams like you see in baseball for a long time. Right. Um, so that's another rule they've got in place. Now, if they went to him and said, Adam, we want to give you more money. What are you making at Dallas? Okay. Remember, they requested to talk to him, right? And teams can decline that request until a certain time and or until a team shows, hey, this is going to be a promotion. To the best of my knowledge, Dallas did not decline that offer. And again, we may be wasting our time even talking about this, but I think it's important to do these little exercises. So we get a we'll come away from this, whether the Packers actually go after adding dirty or not, we'll come away and go, all right, we understand how that works now, at least, right? That's the goal. Right. But if they go to him and say, we'll give you more money to be our D-line coach, and he goes to Jerry Jones and says, hey, Jerry, I need more money. And Jerry goes, well, we're not going to give you more money, okay? They could also – I'm pretty sure they can't block that because obviously that would be a technical promotion or whatever, right? You can't hold someone back from making more money somewhere else, right. okay, when right. it comes to coaching ranks. But also – He's just the D-line coach down there. I don't believe he has the title of running game coordinator. That's where the water gets muddy, too, because passing game coordinator is considered one step down from D.C. Running game coordinator is considered one step down from passing game coordinator is the way I've seen the pecking order across the league. So hopefully that makes sense. Carly, if yeah, they wanted him, thank you. If they, yeah, if they wanted him, they could go and say, we want to we want to we want to promote you. We want to bring you over to D-line coach and running game coordinator. Now he could go back to Dallas, and Dallas say, "Well, okay, we'll pay you more money to stay here. Why would he not? His family's there. He'd probably do that, right? He may even be willing to stay in Dallas for less money. That's what you've seen with Ben Johnson in Detroit, being their OC. You know, he got offered. Um, he was actually interviewing, I think, for the head coaching job right out in Seattle or whatever it was, and Washington too. And he withdrew his name again. And I don't understand the people that are raking him over the coals for that. I think it's pretty freaking cool." that someone's willing to turn down a promotion and more money to go back and try to win a Super Bowl. That means a lot to me. Like that's, that's what you're looking for in someone in your organization, that winning is the most important thing. So now it could be a case too, kind of like the whole resignation conversation we just had that he goes into Seattle, they interview and they go, yeah, we're not going to go in this direction. And they could say, we don't want to hurt you here. So we're not going to say that. Why don't you just withdraw your name? That could have happened too. Right. So. Um, the other thing, too, with the defensive quality control coach here, Justin Hood, like we mentioned, I think there's there's a good chance that one of those one of his top assistants, maybe top two assistants, Jeff Halfley's at Boston College. That would be a good spot for them 
for him to bring one of those guys up and let him be a defensive quality control coach to get his yeah. to get kind of his start in the league, if you will. Now, one of those guys may get promoted too. Last I heard, Billy O'Brien, the OC in New England last year, was the front runner to be the head coaching head coach in Boston College this year. So I'm um, not sure how all that will shake out, obviously. But anything else anybody want to hit on here? Carl, you got any more questions, comments, any, anybody at all? If not, we'll, we'll move on here. No, not about this. I would uh, keep my eye on Wendell Davis there um, for mm-hmm. a possible – you know, you, n- you never know. There could be a move up for him as well. Um, right. Sure. You know, to, to create room, like you said, for, for some more of uh, Coach Halfley's staff to possibly yeah. come in. Now, Carly, you said you said not on this. Did you have a question about something else? Oh, no, I'm good. Okay, cool. Good deal. Good deal. Um, let's go to the chat real quick. Maki says, uh, any truths to the any truth to the reports that Clayton turned down the DC position at the pack, said he was their number one choice. Now there's yeah, yeah. You okay. sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna have to have a translator in there, Hosscat. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they didn't have money on the payroll to have someone come in and translate my lingo to normal human beings that speak English on a third grade level. But Monaghan <laughs> says, "Yeah, Maki. He said he was waiting, uh, waiting for the Bears' position. LOL. Well, I'm telling you, I already deleted it. But that that Mark Murphy, my God, man. Oh yeah, that was great. Day and, one, Clayton walks into the meeting room like, I tried this one chili and it set my mouth on fire, and I had to drink a two liter of Mountain Dew. <laughs> I can only imagine. Oh my God, I'll tell you what. Um, I know I'm gonna screw the name up." Let's ask Carly. Carly, how would you pronounce this name? The the YouTube member or the YouTube person? That's correct, yes. Amwoni. Amwoni? All right. Amwoni. Amwoni, yeah. Amwoni yeah. right. reports that Mr. I do this for a living says that uh, no, Jason no, Rebovich has gotten some kind of promotion. Oh, so There may be truth to that, right? I, there probably is, to be honest with you. He says Bukowski reported that Jason Rebovich has gotten some kind of promotion. We need to we need to do some search in there. Let's see if we can comb through. Um, it's I funny because I said that yesterday. You sure I did. That, that maybe he that uh, Rebovich would be uh, in line for a, a possible promotion. So yeah. hopefully that's true. Hopefully there's truth to that. So pass rush specialist Jason Rebovich, obviously. Okay, what if he gets promoted? To defensive line coach, right. if, I'm, I'm gonna tell you if that happens, if that happens, gang, you can put them pretty much put a put a pin in it that we're going to a four three, right? We're just gonna go ahead and make that shift to four three because what that's saying is, you know, he was the pass rush specialist. He worked with the edges, but he also worked with the interior defensive line too. I'm sure, like obviously, it's in the title, pass rush specialist. So he would get promoted to D line. Uh, slash running game coordinator, maybe. Maybe he's a running game coordinator. I don't know. But then you would bring in another pass rush specialist or maybe just a second defensive line coach. I think there's a lot more freedom with these positions than we all understand, you know. I, I'm sure it's buried in the NFL rule book somewhere on exactly how they have to approach this. But uh, that's cool. We need to find out if that's true or not, if those rep- reports are true. Um, so, uh, again, I you know, there's, a, there's still multiple angles that the Packers could take to fill these positions. Um, it's going to be exciting to see how it all unfolds, for mm-hmm. sure. I don't, so. I don't see Peter Bukowski just running with that if there's no validity to it, though. I know? don't need it. So and, there's got to be some truth in there. Yeah, and listen, I know a lot of people 
prefer not I prefer not to listen to his podcast and and we hear about it a lot. I'll just say that me and me and Bukowski had a run in as soon as I got on Twitter. And it was right out of the gate. I'm like, all right, this was fun. This lasted long. Ryan's gonna kick me out of the network. We'll just go a different route here. But I just can't stand when someone tries to talk down to a fan, especially one that's trying to like understand the game. And you know, my whole approach was just like, bro, who the hell are you? Who do you think you are? Telling a fan they don't know what they're talking about, like you know, I it blew me away. Anyway, let's don't get into it. Here we are getting into it. But um, yeah, let's this- see. all right. Um, when it comes to that rumor, has anybody found anything yet? Um, let's all go search real quick and just type in Jason Reverbich because I would like to know if there's any truth to that. In the meantime. I'm going to pull up this other chart that uh, Jason, or I'm sorry, at Mike Clay NFL also put out. This is every free, every unrestricted free agent this year. I mean, look at the time it took to do this. Holy cow. Yeah. And I imagine what he's going to probably do is update it as they go along. So that would be really cool. As these guys sign, you'll kind of see, okay, who's left, who isn't. Now, keep in mind, I don't know if they're actually ranked in order of, you know, how valuable they are. It could be the case, but. This just kind of shows you all the names out there, right? Now, we've shown you just the top free agents when we've kind of combed through uh, Spotrack and look at the market value and PFF and their grades and all that. Um, again, the the names that I'm most interested in are definitely Bobby Wagner, Geno Stone, and uh, Alohi Gilman. Those are the three that I'm kind of keeping my eye on when free agency does get cranked up. And we got to get past this this uh, quote unquote resign stage here, right? We got to get into the whole, uh, first of all, the restructure stage, I should say, which is going to be mid February here, probably in about 12 days or so. We should hear about Aaron Jones. We should hear about um, uh, several other people, you know, Aaron Jones, David Bakhtiari. We had a list there of the ones that we actually chose to restructure, or at least not that we chose a restructure, but we said realistically could be restructured in this order. David Bakhtiari. Um, Kenny Clark, Jair Alexander, Aaron Jones, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, Elton Jenkins, and Devondre Campbell. Um, cutting Bakhtiari is still an option, although I would like to see him keep him. But let's try to shave somewhere between seven to ten million off of that cap hit. Um, Kenny Clark, um, you you probably just half of the money that you could free up. You could free up a total of roughly sixteen point two million. I'd say eight is probably what they'll shoot for to. Uh, to clear up there. Jair Alexander, you can clear up 7.4 million realistically. Aaron Jones, 5.6 million real risk realistically. Uh, Preston Smith, 5.9. Rashawn Gary, 4.1. Elton Jenkins, 4.5. And Devondre Campbell, 5 million flat. Now, that's the number we came up with the 50.9. The max was 85 million. Again, we're not saying that they're going to free up $50 million and have that money to spend. They could probably somewhere between 20 to 25 million. Would be a good ballpark guesstimate there. Anybody found anything on Reverovich yet? I, I found uh, Peter's tweet. Um, he just basically said, with Reverovich's uh, elevation from pass rush specialist, the Packers will be looking to hire his replacement. So it's not really saying where he's gone to. Right. Yeah. Because this, this, this is what I got from Acme, Tim. Was this said earlier, Peter said, pass rush specialist Jason, who previously held title of outside linebacker coach, would have an elevated role on Halfley staff. Like that's. That's so all I'm saying. Because he was he was reported or he was promoted to pastor specialist last year. So mm. there's no specifics. He's just saying he's gonna have an elevated role, but nothing sure. nothing clear. And and everybody else is just um 
sourcing Bukowski. So there's nothing other than him. It seems it originated from him. Got it. Cool. Appreciate that. Well, yeah, it's weird that it wouldn't be updated on the site. What you know, usually they're pretty open about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say he's elevated, it's like, what the hell? They give him a taller seat. What what they do? Like, <laughs> confused here. Like usually it's he was elevated from this to that, right? Mm-hmm. And usually the site will reflect it fairly quick. Packers do a pretty good job with that. I see some you you come through their their you know homepage or whatever and look at their staff and it's like that dude was gone last year. What are they doing? Yeah. So you got to be careful with some of the information you get there. But with him being elevated, it, on the surface it sounds like they were trying to block him from going somewhere else and and do it in a way like, hey, look, we want to reward you because you've done a good job. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering what that might be, man. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's, a, you know, we see that with news a lot, though, right? It'll break on Twitter. Somebody, you know, hears something, they're plugged in, and they can't really say anything officially because the team right, hasn't right. said anything officially. So we kind of hear. So I'd be, you know, set your alerts. Let's uh, keep our eyes on the, the news feed the next, you know, 24 to 48 hours here, see what uh, changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll tell you what it could be, too, possibly a, a pay increase. You know, yeah, could be that's something an elevation, like, right? Yeah. Elevate your bank account. <laughs> it's hey, here's more money, and there's going to be more responsibility come with it. We want you to get more involved with maybe maybe the defensive line, not necessarily a defensive line coach, but more involved. If that if that information came out about the same time that Jerry Montgomery was kind of let go, that makes sense, right? Like he's going to play more of a role there, because when you hear when you hear a pass rush specialist, you think he's working with the edges, right? When you hear defensive line coach. He's working with the big boys in the middle. That's all 34 terminology. When we yep. go 4-3, I could see it kind of getting narrowed into the same type of title, if you will. But um, I think it's highly unlikely that Adam Dirty will be here. I just, again, when you see these interviews, it's kind of like, were they really interested in bringing him in as D.C.? And when I think of Christian Parker, what if what Andrew heard was, yeah, he heard – you know, they offered him the D.C. job, but what if they actually offered him some other kind of role in the organization that would be a technical promotion from just DB coach in Denver? That could be the case. And the good news there is if if Matt really is going after Christian Parker for another, uh, you know, potential position, um, Denver's staff is loaded, so there's really no way to promote him. Like, you, you kept Vance Joseph, you kept everybody else in place, and he definitely wasn't the number two guy there in Denver. They haven't fired anybody, so. Yeah, there you go. Good stuff, man. Appreciate y'all coming through and trying to find more information on it. That's something to keep our eye on. Maybe yeah. I put a blue question mark over Rebovich's face. Should I do that instead of yeah. – There you go. Yeah. Or an arrow pointing up for elevation. Yeah, yeah. yeah have, the, have the whole yeah. training mark. Yeah. Let's go around the horn. Let's uh, start with Carly. Carly, you got anything that you want to hit on? Any, any thoughts, comments, questions, anything like that before we wrap up? We're at the 59-minute mark here. I think as we get excited, you know, for what may or, you know, may happen with this defense, um, we just need to remember kind of what Coach Haddad said that when, um, you know, when Halfley gets there, this, there's a lot at stake in the NFL. It's not a college game. There's, you know, everybody is at an elite level, and it's very likely that Halfley's going to chill out a little bit and kind of learn the ropes, and, and it might take him a while to figure things out. So I think we should just be not too quick to, you know, to judge him when he comes in or, or make all these predictions that may or may not be true as he gets in and learns the people and learns, um, you know, the scheme that's going to work best. I just want to, I want us to give him some time. That's all. I think it's very well said. Mm-hmm. And what else you got, buddy? I agree with Carly and always remember that no matter what happens. Things could be a lot worse. I could be a Bears fan.
Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Might be the best Jair sound drop ever, bro. Things could be worse. Could be a Bears fan. Uh-huh. <laughs> Go ahead, uh, Emilio. What you got, buddy? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. You know, we're not going to really know what this team is until beyond, you know, preseason. They're going to be um, pretty generic there. So by the time we get first, second week, third week, I think we're going to really see what this defense is. I'm, I'm just kind of excited to see what they declare it as. You know, like looking at that chart you had with all the other teams, I, I would just – I know we were 3-4. I just he, – he could keep it 3-4 and we could just be multiple. We could be a nickel most of the time. So I just – I want to see what they declare it as. And then we can kind of go from there. And I think we can sort of branch out a little bit more. But, you know, looking yeah. at it where we were split, you know, two and two uh, with uh, Minnesota and us running three, four, and then uh, Chicago and Detroit running four, three. And, uh, and that was the first reason why we changed in, in the first place back in, in like, oh, wait or whatever. We switched to the three, four was to try to um, catch the other teams off and all that. So I, I don't know. I'm just excited to see where it all leads to, you know, with something new. And uh, the, the team is uh, they're improving, man. Yeah. Yeah, what I want is for everyone to get on board and let's try to support this guy. Let's don't turn this into Joe Barry 2.0 where we're trying to judge, you know, every little thing, give him time. Um, You know, like when you look at at the end of the day, the National Football League, obviously it's a result-driven business, right? And if he comes in and he does great, awesome. If he doesn't, then you got to find the guy, right? The fact of the matter is points per play last year, Green Bay finished 12th at 0.334, okay? They were in the top 10 pretty much the entire season in points per game and points per play. That's the overall goal, right, is to keep the other team from scoring points. If he comes in and that number raises and we're 16th, 17th, 20th in points per game, it's probably going to get loud pretty quick, right? And it's going to be Matt LaFleur screwed up another hire. Let's just give him a little bit of time. Yeah, I was just going to ask you. So off – off the cuff, what would be your time frame you're giving him, and what are the what is the average fan going to give Jeff Halfley? Well, the average fan's uh, going to give him 45 seconds. He's going to give him a half. The a average half. fan's going to give him a half. First week, um, halfway in, if we're if we're down three touchdowns, it's a wrap. Get rid of him. He's gone. And and this is why, like, the worst thing you can do, you know, even if you break it down to the to, to on-the-field play, like when you hear people say seeing ghosts, when when they talk about a quarterback seeing a ghost, what that is is he came to the line, both pre-snap and then post-snap, he thought he seen something that he didn't. They sugared him one direction, he dropped back. The play that was called, the progression that was called, whether it was pick a half or just one, two, three, four, check, it would have worked if you hadn't in your mind thought you seen something that you didn't. You look at what Fangio did in Miami with the explosives. That was the goal, right? Well, by this past year, we completely changed the defense to where we're just going middle field close, middle field close, middle field close, and the explosives blew up. I, I'm the boring fan that says you've got it. You've got to give it time to take. The players have got to kind of embed themselves into this too. And I know there's people going, well, he had three years. I completely agree. He didn't have three years doing what he was brought here to do. He had three years of this constant, we need to have Jair following somebody. We need to do this. We need to do that. And it, you just seen it was just constant. You know, it was attempt at evolution. You've seen in the first half of the year, the defense played pretty darn good. And by the second half, really the Giants game is when things went haywire. And that's when you see Rashawn Gary's sack numbers go down 
they had to adjust in the last third of the season, really the last quarter of the season, and it's why the defense got better. We had to accept the fact we can't just pin our ears back and rush the outside like this. These quarterbacks are going to cut us apart. And then when you tried to play zone, guys were just completely blowing their assignment and miscommunicating. That's why the whole year you heard me going, this isn't a scheme thing. This is personnel problem. That's what gives me the most hope in Jeff Halfley, and that's what's going to take time, and I hope people give him time, is everyone we've spoken to, everyone says you're getting one hell of a DB coach. Let's give him time to prove that because mm-hmm. you get this secondary shirt up and you can get us just in the top ten in passing defense. If To answer your question, Emilio, I'll tell you, if if for some if somehow, some way, this defense drops down to outside of the top 15 in scoring defense, I better see something else along the lines of the passing game has increased, like, right. you know, less passing yards per play, less rushing yards per play, where you can see that, okay, yeah, the scoring doesn't look good right now, but we're trending in the direction to get that buttoned up with getting everything buttoned up along. Mm-hmm. If we come out and we continue to struggle against the pass, we continue to struggle against the run, and the points per game goes down, I'm – I'm not going to be fake and defend the move. I'm going right. to be, hey, guys, we just got worse. Right. Like, yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I'll give them four games to, you know, hammer everything out, try try to clean it up. By by week 11, we kind of need to see where this team is at. By week 10, week 11, with a, if there's a bye week, if not, I mean, that we need to kind of know where this defense is going to be and where, where they're looking to go moving forward. Obviously, we have no idea who's going to be out there, but um, it – he. There, there's got to be some some sort of improvement somewhere, like you said, rather than we can't just flatline or we can't just, you know, fall right down the hill. Right. And I'm we willing have- to go a little longer. I'm willing to look at it like we looked at J-Love last year. We wanted to know, you full know, year, right? after a full year, is this is this the dude? That's my attitude with this defense. Right. We need to see a full season. And if we go 9-8 and eight again, it happens. Yep. Right. And, and, and then, you know, what you – you guys are right, though. What we don't want to see is a glaring regression or a defense that's getting lit up. That's going to be blatantly obvious. Mm-hmm. But even if that happens, if you're four to six, seven games into a season, you have to give them time to turn it around. Right. And you, you're really not going to get a, a whole look until you look at an entire season. Um, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm not a fan of, you know, changing DCs every two to three for a year as well, simultaneously complaining about a lack of consistency on defense. Mm-hmm. So you've got to give, you know, Coach Halfley some time to, you know, get this program where uh, where he wants it to be and what his vision is for this defense. So I'm, I'm willing to go at least one season uh, personally. Yeah, I think I think you got to give him a full season, figure out what we got. And then really, I, I would say more of a season and a half. If this defense takes a, a step backwards, and then we get halfway through next season and they're still not not within the top 10 of being a, a top 10 defense, then that's the fourth D.C. in a row that we've been like, it's the D.C.'s fault. It's the D.C.'s fault. Maybe it's something deeper. Mm-hmm. You know? Again, maybe it's how we draft on defense. That could be the case. I don't know. Um, but I think it's a fascinating conversation. Again, I want, you know, let's just all get on board. That's what I'm going to do. I, you can, you know, you can hate on them if you want, whoever's right. listening out there. I'm going to I'm going to choose to look at it with the glass half full the same way I did with Joe Barry and try to point out like, hey, here's what's going right. How do we now how do we build off of that? You can't do that when you got hashtag fire Dom Capers, hashtag fire Mike Pettin, hashtag fire Joe Barry going off on Twitter every two minutes. Right. So, um, yeah. Anyway, there you go. 
That was a fun episode, though, man. We covered a lot. We we're going to get into Arnie Herber a little bit. Um, I'm not going to play the video. We'll probably get a copyright strike, although I was prepared to do it if we didn't have much content. You got to gotta chew. You got to pick your shots. You know what I mean, boys? But we mentioned Arnie Herber last night. We'll end with this. It was true. I was thinking, I think he was a custodian or something, right? Well, nice. you see it here. Arnold Charles Herber. What a strong name. Uh, was an American football professional football player who was a quarterback in the National Football League for 13 seasons, primarily with the Green Bay Packers. During his Packers tenure from 1930 to 40, he led the league in passing yards and touchdowns three times and won four NFL championship games. Herber uh, retired after 11 seasons in Green Bay, but returned in 1944 with the Giants, where he played the final two seasons. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1966. Some people are going, who cares, Clayton? This is the story I was talking about. He was born in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Herbert was a Packers fan from a young age. So keep in mind, he grew up watching Curly Lambeau in this hometown Packers, right? He starred at local Green Bay West High School in football and basketball. He played two years of college football on the freshman team at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and spent his sophomore season at Regis College in Denver, which dropped football after the 1929 season. So they completely do away with football program. Arnie Herber went back to Green Bay and worked in the clubhouse as a handyman. He got a job with the Green Bay Packers as a handyman. And Coach Curly Lambeau gave Herber a tryout, and Herber, at the age of 20, joined a team that was currently dominating the NFL. Now, you're saying, okay, he was in the Hall of Fame. What all did he do? Look at these accolades, guys. Pro Football Hall of Fame induction. Look at all the numbers he wore. He wore 12, 26, 41, 16, 45, 38, 19, 20. I love it. Um as far as the accolades, four-time NFL champion, first-team All-Pro in 1932, two-time second-team All-Pro, 1935 and 36, NFL All-Star in 1939, three-time passing yards leader in 32, 34, and 36, three-time passing touchdowns leader, 32, 34, 36, and NFL passer rating leader in 1936, NFL completion percentage leader, 1936, NFL 1930s All-Decade team, and then uh, Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame and obviously Pro Football Hall of Fame. The hell with the copyright. We're going to play the video. Here we go. <laughs> he had that eye for talent. He just knew what he was looking for in a player. He built championship teams here with total free agency. Throughout the entire decade of the 20s into the, the 30s, there was no college draft. So it was very important which players you could lure to play in your team. One such player... Arnie Herber. Considered one of the greatest long passers of all time. His fingers were short and stubby, so he couldn't grip the football the way a normal quarterback would. First passer in the history of the league to pass for a thousand yards. Green Bay native, pro football hall of famer. Before was throwing the long pass, 50, 60, 70 yards, and a competitor from the word go. He taught me an awful lot about the long pass. We were out in California playing a few exhibition games. And MGM made a little movie about the Green Bay Packers. And when we went out on the movie set one day, they had hung up a uh, pane of glass three feet square on the goalpost. And they gave Herbert the ball at the 50-yard line and told him to throw it through the glass. He threw the pass before the cameras are on. Garage! And broke the window pane. And they asked him, he told me he had to do it again, and he broke the pain the second time. He threw the first two right through the glass from 50 yards. Now, that's accuracy with the football. 
Harney Herbert needed that end that could stretch the field, and they got such an end in Mr. Don Hudson in 1935. You'll see him throwing the ball oh. and his helmet's laying on the ground next yeah, to him. I, yeah. <laughs> you see that? Let's see if we can find it here real quick. Look. There it is right there. Let him with that helmet. I don't need you that. Need the pocket, though. I mean, you got the wall. You got the wall. The arc the ends coming around. You got a you got a blocker in front. And back then, that ball was like a like a watermelon. Like it was. Yeah. You know, when they said he had short, stubby fingers, I remember watching a video on it. They said he would just let it sit in his palm, right? And he would just kind of palm throw it. It could still throw that thing 50, 60 yards. Man. On a dime. On a dime. Wow. I love that that picture with the helmet right there, though, bro. That's, I need to get that frame, put it in the studio here. <laughs> there you go. I just wonder what happened to his helmet. I, it kind of feels like, since nobody's around him, he just took it off pre-snap, like something's wrong with my helmet. Let's just go. Yeah. Here, I don't need that right Took now. it off mid-drop back. I can't see where this guy's going. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Absolutely love it. So, that song is going to be copyright strike. Um, hopefully, the channel doesn't get taken down. They can have the money. They can have our $1.75 from ad revenue. It's yours. Buy yourself something nice. Buy you buy yourself another one of them shirts type thing. So, um, Emilio, Tim, appreciate y'all hanging out with us, buddy. Damn, hour and 14. We did good, man. This was fun. This was, mm -hmm. We covered a lot of stuff. I um, want to thank everybody for hanging out with us in the chat. We'll see you guys tonight for PTA Live. Unless something changes, I'll let you guys know if something does change. But, uh, yeah, y'all have a great day. This has been Good Morning Lambo. For those of you listening on the pod, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And go, Pat, go. Go.